This is the Lunduke Journal podcast for December 27th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I don't know, is this going to be the last podcast of the year? How terribly exciting. I'll get to say a whole new number soon. Today, we're going to be talking about predictions for the year ahead. Everyone does prediction shows and prediction articles, but here's what makes my predictions different than everyone else's. They're going to be exactly right. <laughs> uh, before we dive into the predictions I've got, and there's, uh, I think there's some pretty great predictions for 2023, I would be remiss if I did not point out that this week has been a truly <clears throat> excellent... Boy, my asthma has been bad. Has anyone else had bad asthma this this whole month of December? It has been terrible this year. I don't know what's floating around in the air. I don't know if I'm just a really old man now, so all my childhood asthma came was coming rushing back. But I tell you, when I was a kid... I mean, I was the stereotypical nerdy little scrawny kid. I was pasty white, just gangly and lanky with just these long, like, alien-like arms, big old glasses on, and an inhaler. That was me, right? I was I was the kid that you stereotype in a movie where there's a kid that's super-duper nerdy on the playground that somehow gets hit in the head with a, with a dodgeball. You know, that that was me. And then as I got into my 20s, the asthma sort of went away, and I got to pretend like I wasn't necessarily the ultimate nerdy kid stereotype. But now here I am as a mildly old man, and here comes the asthma rushing back just like when I was a kid. It's truly phenomenal. Anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Right, this week on the Lunduke Journal has been so much fun. It is. It has been one of my favorite weeks of the whole year in terms of the articles that I've been I've been pumping out. And part of that is that I'm finally able to start finishing and publishing some things that I've been kind of putzing on in the background for a long time. So we've got uh, two big articles that came out that I made subscriber only. And, and and if you're a subscriber, you know why they're subscriber only, because they're huge. One of them is called Firefox Money, investigating the bizarre finances of Mozilla. It, it is it is truly weird. Like it is it is weird. Uh, Mozilla makes payments to these just seemingly non-existent companies. Uh, they they give money to all sorts of strange groups for political reasons. Uh, they. Uh, they have a they have their almost complete and total reliance on a single customer for like 90% of their income it's wild their finances are crazy and and i i dig into it pretty in depth based on all their tax filings and all that sort of stuff in this article and i i highly recommend reading it it is it is bizarre it is truly utterly whatever you think about Mozilla or Firefox, even if you love Firefox, it's like your favorite web browser in the world, you got to read this because it is, it is just, there's no other word but bizarre. It's so utterly strange. I've done these sort of deep dives into the finances of some of these organizations before. I did one that wasn't really a super deep dive. It was kind of a, a cursory glance at the Linux Foundation. And it's weird. There's some weird stuff with the Linux Foundation. But it's not off the charts weird. It's just like, huh, I don't know that I'd, 
I don't know that I'd run my foundation that way weird. Whereas Mozilla, it's really weird. And there's just, it, after I was done, I was left with like five times as many questions as I had when I went into investigating them. I, and I, I kind of detail it all out there. I highly recommend reading it. And then I went into trying to answer a question that gets bandied around a lot. And that is how many Linux users are there actually? And I mean like desktop Linux users, not Android users, not Chrome OS and Chromebook users, but like traditional GNU forward slash Linux desktop users, right? I mean, that that sort of question has been asked a lot. We we oftentimes ask, you know, is it the year of the Linux desktop? What is the Linux desktop market share? And, and those numbers really get debated a lot. But that only tells us a little bit of the story. I, I wanted to know how many of us are there? How many Linux desktop users really exist? And so I I chewed through every piece of data I could find. I crunched the numbers and I came up with an answer and that is 33 million. <laughs> which is which is interesting. It's both bigger and smaller than I expected. Anyway, uh, that one also is a premium article again because it goes into crazy crazy details. If you're not currently a full subscriber to the London Journal, make sure you do that because you you don't want to miss this stuff. There's a lot more things like that coming because I've I've realized I've realized that there's a lot of stories in the technology world, whether it's Linux and open source or Microsoft or Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, what whatever, there's a lot of stories that aren't getting told. There's a lot of research that isn't getting done. And there's a lot of critiques that need to be made, even of some of the companies and organizations that we love, that just aren't happening. And the reason for that is is realistically that there's just so many publications out there that are reliant on those companies for their paychecks. So they don't want to make them mad, right? I mean, there's so many companies that there are so many tech publications that don't want to say something bad about GitHub because there's so many ad dollars flowing out of Microsoft into these publications. The same is true for, uh, you know, um, the enterprise Linux companies. They don't want to make Red Hat upset by saying something too critical about Red Hat's businesses or IBM's businesses, because those ad dollars mean a lot to those publications. In fact, if you look at some of the big tech publications out there, the big Linuxy ones, they mostly focus on writing articles that make enterprise Linux companies look as good as possible. That's what they do. I mean, I, I was I was part of this. I know this is a sidetrack. You're coming here for the predictions, but I want to I want to talk about this briefly. I used to write for Network World, which is a one of the publications that's run by a company called IDG, and IDG owns so many uh, so many different publications: Computer World, uh, Network World, IT World, lots of worlds, right? And I loved writing for them. Uh, I, I wrote for them happily for about four and a half years or so. 
And they let me write about whatever I wanted for so long, as long as it was tangentially Linuxy or open sourcey or just kind of funky. They let me do it because I I wrote articles that got really big traffic. Well, then they decided to do a change in in the way they were going to do business. They wanted to start focusing purely on courting enterprise advertising dollars, meaning they wanted to specifically write articles that convinced the likes of Red Hat, Oracle, uh, Intel, Sousa, all of them to, to advertise with their publications, right? So the, so the articles they wanted written weren't for the mass audience. They were specifically for the executives and the marketing teams at those companies. And the net result is that the articles got really, really just dreadfully boring. And they, they didn't want me writing about really funky things anymore. They didn't want me writing, you know, exposés and, and critiques of these companies anymore. They just wanted me to write about whatever their latest press release was regurgitated into some just boring article. And so there's just not a lot of, of real, actual reporting and journalism happening out there in the tech world right now. And I've realized, I mean, I, I always knew this, but it's really hit home that what we've created here with the Lunduke Journal means I can do that. And if I don't do that, I, I feel like I'm missing an amazing opportunity to do to have a truly positive impact on the broader technology world by doing things like uh, the Firefox money article, right? No one else covers it. No one touched it. Not one major publication touched any aspect of that story ever. They just avoid it entirely. Why? Because Mozilla is a billion dollar corporation read the read the article it, it, it and and they they do not want to be on the bad side of mozilla they just don't want to and the same goes for red hat ibm intel all of them you'll you'll find you'll notice that even when there's critical articles where articles are criticizing those companies they're, not, they're really not criticizing them at a deep level. It's almost like it's criticizing them for show. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a cursory. It's, it's like a flesh wound. <laughs> right? They don't really do deep dives. They don't really dig deep and find the skeletons in the closet. Well, I can so I am. Um, also, uh, Haiku, uh, changing topics. Haiku Beta 4 finally came out. I wrote a huge review of it. Uh, it is by far the largest review of the Haiku operating system of this this beta that exists on the internet. So you're welcome for that. Um, oh, and a history of the fork bomb, which is tons and tons of fun. I, I highly recommend reading that one. And uh I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of predictions, I've got my real predictions that I'm about to lay on you. But if you go to the Lunduk Journal right now, I have a satirical piece entitled Breaking. The Lunduk Journal predicts 
37% more buzzwords in 2023. Imagine a Sharknado, but with buzzwords instead of sharks. Horrifying. It's one of my favorite uh, satire pieces that I've written in in quite a few months. I, I highly recommend checking that one out. It's 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 fantastic. All right, all right, all right. Moving on to uh, oh yeah, all of which is to say, go subscribe there. I, I know a lot of people grab the podcast from you know iTunes or Spotify or or, or wherever. Go subscribe over at Substack or Locals. And at, at lunduke.substack.com, get this subscription so you don't miss any of this stuff. Because this is good stuff. Um, oh, 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 also, <laughs> get on with the predictions, Lunduke. Also, uh, I, I should point out that we are, let me see, do I have this in front of me here? Hold on, hold on. Let me see if I can bring up my details. We are, as of right now, today, as I record this, it is Tuesday evening, we are 80, shoot, 83%, 83% or 84% now of our way to reaching our, our funding goal for the end of the year, the end of 2022, which is pretty great. Uh, that's pretty awesome. We're not doing any big sale or promotion or anything like that to get us over the finish line there. But, uh, if any of you haven't picked up a paid subscription, just, just come on, it's five bucks. Just go, go grab a paid subscription for five bucks. Then you can read the Firefox Mozilla article. You can read all the other uh, uh, paid articles. There's going to be a bunch more coming out uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. You want those? Go, go, go! Grab that for the five bucks. So uh, and and push us over the the line. If if like a teeny tiny itty bitty fraction, like an incy wincy microscopic fraction of the people that listen to this podcast, plop down five bucks. Oh man, we'll just blow past the the hundred percent funding mark in like in like no time flat. Uh, so <clears throat> so go do that. All right, on to the predictions. So prediction number one, and this isn't this one. I feel like is not crazy. It's not all that. It, it's an extension of what we've been seeing for the last two years. We will have large-scale chip shortages during 2023. That's not crazy, because during 2020 and 2021 and 2022, we've had CPU memory and other sort of of chip shortages that have really hit pretty hard. And there have been a million reasons for that. There have been some trade issues. There's been the COVID-related issues. There's been some weird weather issues, all sorts of problems. Whatever the issues, they're going to be getting worse in 2023. I think we're going to have periods during 2023 where <clears throat> we'll have a blip here and there of of new supplies, right? Like we'll finally get, like you're, you're seeing this in, in small doses right now with the Raspberry Pi folks. They've been having massive shortages impact their ability to ship new Raspberry Pis all year long. Now I think it looks like they're going to be able to, during at least one of the quarters of 2023, ship new batches of Raspberry Pis. That's great. That's a bright spot. However, those shipments are not, are really just playing catch up from two years ago. And they're 
not that huge of shipments. And we're seeing that across phone makers and laptop makers and and GPU makers, everyone. We're seeing that with people in the automotive industry. Car makers are having problems with with chip shortages. It's all over the place. And we're going to see that increasing dramatically over the course of 2023. I think it's going to get the worst in the in this coming summer. Is, is my guess of when it's going to be the worst. Sometime end of Q2 through the beginning of Q4 of 2023 is going to be brutal for chip shortages. I mean, absolutely brutal. Like, it's going to be... We ha- we've had a couple of chip shortages over the last 20, 30 years. We've had them here and there. I think this one's going to be significantly worse than any of the ones we've had uh, since... Re- really, really since the 1990s. It's going to be a, It's going to be a bad one. I think looking ahead, we're seeing a lot of companies invest into new fabrication facilities or revamping old ones, because I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but there are a lot of companies that used to do chip fabrication, say, in the United States, uh, both in Texas, the Pacific Northwest, as well as areas of New England and a few other spots around the country. There have been chip fabrication going on uh, uh, since the, the 1960s, right? There's been all, all sorts all over the place. A lot of that has ramped down or become really specialized. And what we're seeing is a huge investment into those, into revamping those, into ramping them up a lot over the course of 2023 and into 2024, as well as establishing new fabrication facilities in the United States. Uh, We're seeing a little bit of that happen in the EU too, though not as much. Um, And there's also a little bit of that happening in Brazil, though, again, at a very, at a much smaller scale. But what that all means is that 2024 should be in pretty good shape for a large portion of the RAM and the CPU and the little controller chips that everyone needs. But 2023, no, sir, it's going to be brutal. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, This one's a little more specific. We're going to talk about Ubuntu. 2023 is going to be the year that Ubuntu scales back on snap packaging. I kind of thought it would happen by the end of this year. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I I believe I predicted that last year as well. It it was kind of always a little bit of a margin of error of give or take a year. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to hold on to that. Canonical never sticks to their product line. Not ever. Uh, if you look over the course of Canonical, we're talking Ubuntu 1. Remember their online service. Uh, we're talking, uh, you know, Ubuntu Touch, Unity, Mare, Upstart. Uh, the list goes on and on. It, they, they don't stick to these sorts of tools. Once there's a huge amount of blowback for them, what Ubuntu and Canonical do, and it's very strange to me, is they double down on them for two to three years. They do this every time. Uh, People don't, like, people, let's say, you know, 70% of people don't want Unity. Well, they'll double down on Unity for an extra two to three years, and then they'll ditch it. People don't like the the Mare window display server, so they double down on it for two to three years. Uh, People, (laughs) it just goes on and on and on. Uh, This happens all the time with them, and I think Snap Packaging is 
is that is that issue right now. It really seems to be where they're pouring a significant amount of their engineering resources that could be better spent elsewhere. <clears throat> and essentially, they're reinventing the wheel. And I, I don't think they need to be doing it. They're going to they're going to ditch it sometime over the course of 2023. I feel level of confidence, 95%. I think that's just that's just the way it's going to be. And when I say ditching it, it'll still exist. Snap packaging will still be there. They will just really big time dial it back. To the point where they aren't using it by default on their systems. They'll dial it back. They'll say, oh, well, it's an Internet of, of Things only sort of thing now. But but really, the, the IoT segment really isn't going anywhere for them anyway. So I, I, I think I think the, that Snap is just going to get dialed back big time. Uh, let's talk about web browsers. Because I've got two predictions related to web browsers. Simply from looking at what has happened over the course of 2021 and 22. The first is that Firefox's market share will drop below 2%. Currently, that's not that big of a that's not that big of a, a thing, right? Everyone out there might be thinking right now, 2%, he's crazy. That, that's so low. It's practically non-existent. And it is. But Firefox market share is really around 3% right now. I don't know if a lot of people realize that very few people use Firefox comparatively. Uh, Firefox's market share is very, very similar to that of Linux's market share in total. So they have, really have similar numbers. It's it's not it's not amazing compared to what they were. Because there was a point when Firefox had really great market share. I remember even when they were taking a massive hit, they were still up in the teens. Now they're around three percent, three point something. It'll drop below below two percent over the course of the year. And why that gets really interesting. Again, go read the Firefox Money article. Go read that so you have a full understanding of how this is really going to impact everything. Is <clears throat> they have a huge amount of of money, but they also have a lot of expenditures and a lot of projects that they give money to. Very strange projects. They they toss around uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars here and there to extremely strange places. If it, they if their market share drops by another thirty three plus percentage points, what is their only real customer? Google going to do can they possibly keep that same level of revenue up no there's no way there's no way i mean because what google currently pays to to mozilla is essentially uh keep firefox and mozilla in business payment tax i don't know call it what you will to make sure that google doesn't get into antitrust issues because chrome quite honestly just dominates the the browser market so what happens when that market share drops so low that it really, oh, it's just not that beneficial for Google anymore to have any sort of special deal with Mozilla. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how that plays out, but I expect really big things to shift over the course of 2023. And what's truly fascinating about all this, and then I'll move away from Mozilla and Firefox, is that Mozilla's CEO... Mitchell Baker has received a huge bonus last year, just astronomically large, millions and millions of dollars for her performance. And her performance 
is leading her company down a path where not only do they have assuredly dwindling market share, but they are reliant on a single customer liking their market share enough to continue paying 80, 90% of their bills. I mean, that's, they gave, they gave her millions and millions for her good performance in assuring a massive, massive hit to their financials in the coming years. It's, it's fascinating. It's truly fast. Go read that article. Go read it. It's fascinating. Um, uh, other, other browser related news, not news yet will be news in 2023. And some people may think this is crazy. Other people will be nodding along with this one. Serenity's Ladybird web browser. You know, the browser that the Serenity project's been building from scratch with no code from Firefox or WebKit and Google or any of it, right? There's, <clears throat> there's, it's, it's from scratch, top to bottom. It will become usable as a daily use web browser for the majority of people by the end of 2023. How do I know that? Because right now, at the end of 2022, when everybody said it's just not viable to create a new web browser with a small volunteer mostly team, they've gotten to a point where they pass nearly every single web browsing, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, etc. test that you can throw at it. And their full functionality, they've been focusing on getting specifically on getting the browser to be looking good and usable on major websites. So things like, you know, Twitter and Gmail and Instagram and all of it, they've been continually going through one after another, all the major news websites and making it, making sure that they fix bugs specifically that hamper its usability with the major sites and the pace that they've been cranking through those fixes is insane. What will they do over the course of the next year? Well, they're going to get it to a point where I think on all likelihood, I will probably be able to use Ladybird as a full-time web browser by year's end. Now, I don't want to put a whole bunch of pressure on their development team, but I'm just looking ahead and being realistic if they keep the same pace up, I don't see how they don't get to that point by year's end. Now, a lot of things could happen. Uh, you know, uh, they could get distracted. They could hit some roadblocks that they just can't seem to overcome. A lot of stuff could happen. But if that pace keeps up, shoot, I maybe even by Q3 of 2023, we're looking at a daily usable web browser, at least for most people. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. So then the big, the big, the big prediction, the one that really impacts a lot of people. We've started to see some of this. And I think it's going to get really big for a lot of reasons next year. We're going to see the large tech companies doing far bigger mass scale layoffs than we've seen in many years including this year. And we've seen some big tech layoffs happening recently. However, we are also going to see small tech companies doing extremely accelerated hiring. Why do I think this? Well, there's multiple reasons. Why? First, let's start with the layoffs part. 
the bad news part of this. And I honestly, I think this whole thing is just good news, by the way. But let's talk about the bad news part. <clears throat> Look at the Twitter story. Whatever you think of Twitter and whatever you think of Elon Musk politics surrounding it. Put that all off to the side for a minute and look at this from a pure business and tech hiring perspective. Elon Musk either fired or caused a huge percentage of the Twitter workforce to quit. So much so that many people, including the people who fired or quit and the journalists that covered them, quickly announced that Twitter would die within hours that it would go offline, and it didn't. And then the, then the announcement was that it would go offline within a day or two days, and it didn't. And then it was that, well, it's going to get slower over the course of the week because there's not enough people working there. That didn't happen either. So what did all of this show? It showed that the massive, massive tech companies that are out there, the ones with thousands, nay, often tens and tens of thousands of tech workers, are way overstaffed for what they do. Way overstaffed. And that's, that's a bad thing for the people who work at those big companies and want to keep the jobs that they currently have, right? That's a bad thing for that. However, it's going to cause more of those companies, many of whom are having difficulty looking at, at, at fiscal viability, at profitability over the coming years, thinking that, well, shoot, I can, I can nix 25%, 40%, maybe 50% or more of my workforce, including um, HR-related positions, um, DevOps-related positions, uh, test-related positions, dev-related positions, uh, UX designer-related positions. I, I mean, all over the map, as well as tons and tons of usability uh, designers and scrum masters and project managers and so many roles are just going to get scaled back. Which means there's going to be a lot of people looking for work. And a lot of companies getting, who are huge, huge, getting much more lean and mean. And I think for those big companies, it's probably for the best. It's probably going to make them a lot hungrier. It's going to make them a lot lighter, a lot more nimble, a lot more agile. And not, to, not, not that kind of agile, but actually like quick moving agile. You know what I'm saying? I think it's a good thing for them. And then I think what we're also seeing is a lot of people, and we've already seen it a bit over the last year, starting new businesses or growing existing small to medium-sized businesses who are looking to expand their presence, who are realizing that with a small team, they can compete with the big boys. They're realizing that you don't need a trillion dollars and a thousand-person team to compete with Twitter. You don't need that. You absolutely don't need that. Can you do it with a with a, a small ragtag team and just enough servers to keep things online? You bet your sweet bippy we can. And people are realizing that. And I, I think we're going to see more and more of that, which means a lot of people are going to be making the transition from working at 
at the big giant mega corporations and the the big giant firms in Silicon Valley to companies all over the U.S. and all over the world, smaller firms, which means they're going to, I think, have better jobs and be working on cooler projects. And there's going to be more competition in the marketplace. And there's going to be more people trying to do cool and interesting things. I think overall, it's going to be a net positive, but it's going to be a very big year of change all throughout 2023. Big year of change. And there will be some tough parts. But in the end, and and mostly through most of it, I think it's going to be a great thing. Those are those are my predictions. Those are my predictions for 2023, and uh, my level of confidence in all of them is is pretty doggone high. Uh, I I think I think I, I think I'm I think I'm going to look back next December and be like, "Yep, nailed all of those." <laughs> I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about them. Uh, anyway, so I would love to hear what your predictions are. I I, I truly would, because uh, if there's one thing I've learned. It's that Lunduke Journal readers and listeners are among the smartest nerds on the planet. Like, and I don't just say that to like beef you up or make you feel real great about yourself. I'm not just blowing smoke here. Uh, you guys are you guys are here for a reason. You're the smart ones. So, what do you think is going to happen next year? And <laughs> and how off do you think my predictions are? <laughs> so, let me know. In the comments to, the, uh, to this post over on Substack or over on locals at lunduke.locals.com. Lunduke.substack.com, lunduke.locals.com. Uh, let me know. I want to hear all of it. I want to I hear your predictions. What are your, what are your top five predictions for the year ahead? And, and are mine crazy or not? <laughs> let me know. Anyway, thank you everyone for making this year such a success. If I don't have another podcast out before year's end, before December wraps to a close, uh, I just want to say how truly grateful I am uh, from the bottom of my heart to, to all of you. You have made all of this possible. And I think as I look back, over the holy last year, the Lunduke Journal has kind of slowly found itself. It's found its voice. It's found its niche. It's found its audience. It's learned what what works, what doesn't work. It's It's been great. It's been a learning experience for me as we go. And I've gotten so much feedback from all of you and so much support from all of you that's made all of that possible. And so here we are at the end of 2022. We're looking good going into 2023. We're, we're almost to our fundraising goal. Um, I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to do any sales or, or big promos or anything like that. Just, just go, go grab a subscription if you don't already have one. And if you already do, you're awesome. The high fives I am sending you across the inner tubes are extreme. <laughs> but I really, I could not do this without you. And I, and I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's not just that you've done a good thing for me, for allowing me to write about all these interesting things. And it's not just that you provided yourself with the entertainment and information and news and journalism and everything else that you want. I think we're literally doing something good. 
we're, we're helping to put out ideas into the world that otherwise would be missing. We're helping to amplify ideas that, that need and deserve to get amplified. We're, we're doing actual research into history, into current technology companies, things that just aren't otherwise happening. So many historical tidbits have been have been able to be researched and published about this year alone that that just were almost lost to time. Uh, one of my one of my favorite pieces from this year was the Wendon Doss article. And, and, and if you haven't read that piece, go back and find it. Just search for Wendon Doss in, in the archive. It's It's amazing. And then not because of any words I wrote, but because the, the history of that operating system and the people behind it and the, the, the interesting things that happened around it, it was amazing. It was a part of computing history that, that was just almost forgotten. And But because of all of you subscribing to the Lunduke Journal, supporting the work I do, spreading the word about what I do, we were able to preserve a bit of that. Not just with screenshots and whatnot, but we have interviews and detailed historical accounts and all of it. We were able to, throughout the year, uh, take, take some of the most popular myths in computing and debunk them. Not just, you know, what, what, what the first computer bug was, a, you know, a being a moth, <clears throat> right? Or, or, that, or the first computer programmer was Ada Lovelace. One thing after another. And we were able to dig deep in there and find out really the truth and publish the truth with historical details so that that stuff isn't lost. Because it's so, it's so easy to lose that that amazing history that we as computer nerds share. So much of it is now 30, 40, even 50 or more years old. And while that may not be that old to a lot of us, it's old enough to start to lose things. It, like the Wend and Doss stories. Most, most information about it, gone. The company that made it, gone. People that used it, a lot of them don't even remember or had forgotten. That collective knowledge that we so often had that was just on our fingertips throughout the the 80s and early 90s, it's, it's evaporating. But we're cataloging it. We're digging in and we're documenting the history behind it. We're diving into the companies that that shape our computing world nowadays, like Mozilla, like the Linux Foundation, and so like Microsoft and so many others. And we're diving in and we're looking at them with open, real eyes. Even the ones that we love, we are being realistic about them and documenting them and really being critical where the critic where the criticism is deserved. We are speaking truth to power to tech power and nobody else is doing that but us and that's awesome and that is all because of you guys not one dime comes from those companies into the pockets of the London Journal not one dime which means I can say anything (laughs) 
<laughs> I can say anything. And no no one can criticize. There's no company for a group to run to and say, you've got to pull that guy's funding. Nope. I'm funded by thousands of you. It's amazing. So anyway, keep it up. Thank you to all of you for the amazing year. Thank you to all of you who have been involved in the community for making my life happier, for for bringing me joy, for many of you for providing me with amazing insight and information because there's people within the Lunduke Journal community that have worked on some of the most fascinating projects in computing history, dating all the way back to the, the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, the 60s. Amazing people. All of you. And you, you, you know exactly who I'm talking about, those of you who are out there. <laughs> uh, I, I am blessed that I have folks like you around. I get emails from some of you after I publish some of these articles where I'll, I'll talk about the history of something. And then I'll get an email from someone who worked on it. <laughs> it's just happened several times now. It's amazing. I, 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 this is the dream. This is the dream. Anyway, thank you to all of you. Uh, go forth and have a great rest of your year. If I don't talk to you with my voice between now and then, there's plenty of articles between now and New Year's, but have a great New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and have a great 2023. You deserve it. All right, everybody. I'll talk to you later.